And then they assured everybody that BPA does not leach. You know, like plastic bottles don't leach BPA. That's what the scientists used to tell everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, it's okay, it doesn't leach. <laughs> and, then, right. and of course, now we know that's complete bullshit. And the problem with that is there's always free BPA. There's always monomers. There's always individual BPA molecules just sitting around in these plastics. And when you put that in contact with liquid, it comes out, especially if you heat it up. Right. Or especially if it's oily liquid. Now, the irony is now we have better technology to measure the BPA in the water or in the liquid, and it definitely leaches. There's no question, you can't argue that anymore. But the funny thing is now they're saying that phthalates, which is another chemical in plastics that also acts like estrogen, now scientists oftentimes will tell you that those don't leach. They'll say, it's okay, phthalates don't leach. It's like the exact same cycle. Right. <laughs> it's, it's so absurd and it's, right. it's, it's such a crazy topic. Do you want to know what it is body mind empowerment get stronger faster smarter quicker friendlier more helpful more driven everything the body needs control your mind welcome to the body mind empowerment podcast i'm your host seamland and our guest today is dr anthony j dr j got his phd in biochemistry from boston university school of medicine He's currently at the Mayo Clinic researching stem cells and epigenetics. Dr. Jay, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Sim. Yeah, um, uh, I've, I've uh, heard quite a few other podcasts about your work, and it's uh, quite a fascinating topic that we're going to be talking today about. Uh, but be- before we get into that, uh, can you talk about like uh, what's your background as a researcher and scientist? Yeah, <clears throat> well, um, way back... I used to do HIV research, virus research, okay. um, but that was, you know, in college, just learning how the process of doing research. Um, but it, it became relevant because I started designing viruses as a consulting company and making, I was actually making DNA, hmm. putting it into cells, and then the cells would make virus for, for me. And you can use viruses for useful purposes in research and actually you know, like in animal models, you can inject them into animals and things, and mm-hmm. and you can use them to do beneficial things. They don't always have to be bad things. You can just basically use them to put DNA inside an animal. So I used to do things like that, um, but then I I went and got my PhD in in, in hormones and fats and cholesterol, and that's where I started recognizing the problems with these artificial estrogens and. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the book came out of that, the book that I wrote, Astro Generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then now I do stem cell research and epigenetics, which is also actually in my book, the, the topic of epigenetics, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, a really hot topic right now. Mm-hmm. So that's basically what I'm doing right now. Yeah, yeah, like it is a, like, a, as I understand, there's like this growing trend in society towards uh, hormonal imbalances especially in men getting like low testosterone and uh, high estrogen so uh, that's that's basically the uh, main topic of your uh, book as well estrogeneration exactly yeah it's a huge problem i mean if it was just one chemical it wouldn't be such a big issue but there's so many different sources of artificial estrogen chemicals these chemicals that act like estrogen in our bodies and it disrupts men and women i mean mm-hmm. You know, the the thing about our men's estrogen, it's usually around 20 nanograms per liter. 
Um, you can just ignore the units for now and just remember the number 20. But women are also around 20. Um, but then they go up to about 400 or 200 or 400, depending on the time of the month. But they're not that different than men in terms of the estrogen. Um, again, it depends on the time of the month. If they're pregnant, of course, it goes way up. It goes up in the thousands. But you know, a lot of times, women are affected just as much with these artificial estrogen chemicals. It just depends what you're talking about, like depression or something like that, or infertility. You see a lot of those issues in women with a lot of these exposures. Mm -hmm. what, what, what are like some other ways uh, these, um, these chemicals affect our hormones? Like what's the main problems? I mean, they basically act on our estrogen receptors. So they, they communicate to your body that you've got estrogen. Right. Okay. And, and is it a bad thing? That, well, it can be. It, it, the problem is actually, it's interesting. Natural estrogen is a good thing um, in a lot of ways. I mean, you don't want your natural estrogen to be too high, um, but having a little bit higher natural estrogen can actually be beneficial in certain aspects. Like it's protective for your arteries, it's protective for your brain, it's even protective against aging. Mm -hmm. um, but again, if that natural estrogen gets too high, then suddenly you have a lot of dysfunctions. You have a lot of problems. Um, and the, like the obvious immediate issue is you lower your testosterone. You know, if you just straight up inject estrogen into an animal, mm -hmm. their testosterone goes way down. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, you know, that's a big problem because testosterone is also super beneficial in a number of ways. They used to, you know, these athletes that take testosterone, they used to have a lot of issues with them and they would say, you know, it actually increases your risk for artery plaque and it increases your risk for stroke and this and that. Mm -hmm. But interesting now, they've done a lot more research on testosterone therapies and they decrease your risk for artery plaque and they decrease yeah. your risk for stroke and all the stuff that you say that increase risk. Now they're actually showing that it decreases the risk now that they've done better studies with larger groups of people and they're not so biased against it. Mm -hmm. um, so testosterone is definitely not something you want to lower and men and women are chronically low in our society today and that's again just the tip of the iceberg yeah but it all goes back to these chemicals right like like bpa or phthalates or what, whatever chemicals there your your body is perceiving those as estrogen and it's not acting you know and they're not estrogen they're not natural estrogen so they not only disrupt your natural hormones right but they're kind of poisoning your system in a subtle way, but it's sl slow. It's not immediate. Scientists are used to testing immediate problems, right? With toxicity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge problem here. It, just in general, the question being, why haven't we picked this up? Right? Like why haven't scientists been talking about this for the last 10 years? Mm -hmm. It's because traditional toxicology, testing toxicity, testing how toxic something is and when it kills cells that's been done on cells in a dish in like one week long study, you know, or two week long studies. And these chemicals don't kill cells the way that like mercury would kill a cell or some other toxin. Mm -hmm. These, these like BPA, for example, the classic artificial estrogen, you know, found in plastics. Um, if you put that on cells, it takes a lot of BPA to kill the cells. It takes a ton of it. So then scientists have said, well, 
it's not really toxic until you take extremely high doses. That's what we've been told for the last 20 years, you know? And by the way, they used to investigate BPA as a birth control. In the 1920s, it was, there's research publications that where they were looking at it um, with the intention of using it as a birth control drug. Wow. Wow. Yeah, and then they discovered it, it plasticizes, it forms plastic, and then they just took off in that direction. And, and then they assured everybody that BPA does not leach you know, like plastic bottles don't leach BPA. That's what the scientists used to tell everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, it's okay, it doesn't leach. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. and of course, now we know that's complete bullshit. I mean, basically, the argument was it forms polymers. It connects these single molecules of BPA connect to each other, and they form polymers. So there are all these long chains of single BPA molecules all connected to each other. And so they don't leach because they're all connected. They're all linked to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and the problem with that is there's always free BPA. There's always monomers. There's always individual BPA molecules just sitting around in these plastics. And when you put that in contact with liquid, it comes out, especially if you heat it up, right? Or especially if it's oily liquid. And um, now the irony is now we have better technology to measure the BPA in the water or in the liquid, and it definitely leaches. There's no question. You can't argue that anymore. Mm-hmm. But the funny thing is now they're saying that phthalates, which is another chemical in plastics that also acts like estrogen. Now scientists oftentimes will tell you that those don't leach. They'll say, it's okay. Phthalates don't leach. It's like the exact same cycle. Right. <laughs> it's, it's so absurd. And it's, right. it's, it's such a crazy topic. Basically like the regular plastic bottles and containers, they, they tend to be higher in these uh, bisphenols and BPA and those things. Yeah, for sure. And even when they say BPA free, it's a problem because they have phthalates more often right, than right, not. Right, right, right. And, and there's a study that they came out with recently that showed that the, uh, they make these analogs of BPA. So even when they're BPA free, oftentimes bisphenol A is what BPA means, mm-hmm. but then they can make bisphenol S or bisphenol, literally you can just use the alphabet, bisphenol B, BPB, BPA, BPAF, BPF. You can literally just put any other letter on that, under that. Mm-hmm. And so they s- slightly change the molecule so that they can call it BPA-free, but it's just as estrogenic. These other chemicals, these analogs, these similar chemicals to BPA, they're just as estrogenic. They're just as bad for you. Right. Uh, but they're calling the plastics BPA-free now, so people think that they're okay. It's mm. crazy. Yeah. So the worst thing would be to kind of uh micro microwave uh warm food in a in a inside a plastic container because that's gonna you know the the heat itself is going to gonna enhance the right. leaching liquids leaching. Yeah, yeah liquids yeah but, yeah, but solid i wouldn't worry about but the liquids i definitely would not right. do that and and to be honest even if it are just sitting for a long period of time like in the in the stores you find these plastic bottles where mm-hmm. there's liquid in there and who knows how long that liquid's been sitting in there. Like duration makes an impact as well. It's heat, duration, and how oily the substance is. Those are the three factors. Like if you okay. have oil in a plastic bottle, you're going to have a lot of those estrogen chemicals in wow. that oil. Wow. <clears throat> and that confuses a lot of scientific studies because a lot of times when they're testing these oils, like if they're testing olive oil on a research animal, they have buckets of oil in plastic bags and plastic containers. I've I've done that sort of research, so I know I've seen it. They're not bringing out glass jars of olive oil, you know, to feed to the rats <laughs> yeah. for yeah. these animal studies. And 
it, it, oftentimes they're studying the problems from artificial estrogens and then they're claiming that those are the problems from olive oil or something like that. Right, right. <laughs> but but uh, like if you have like just like cold food sitting in the fridge, you use right. it for like so, meal, meal prep or something, then that's less of an issue. <clears throat> yeah, it's not even an issue at all if it's if it's dry, like if it's if it's just you know something that's dry. Right. But to be honest, for me, I, I'm I'm like thinking like what kind of foods are dry. I mean, I I don't even use like a carrot or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <Plastic>. yeah. <laughs> But I don't even use plastics anymore. Just I mean, there's also the environmental issue. Yeah. And once you change out, once you get rid of your plastic containers and you just get the glass food storage containers you never go back because they're reusable and yeah i even get the silicone plastic bags i get like the uh all the different sizes of they're like ziploc bags but they're they're actually made from silicone which okay. is safe no estrogen in silicone and they're reusable they're washable they're heatable you can do sous vide cooking mm. and boil food in silicone and there's no leaching it's it's great yeah, I, w- I wanted to ask about the sous vide cooking. Like that's that's yeah, literally that's, that's, that's literally like something that you <laughs> do de- 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 deliberately to kind of leach out those uh, chemicals into the. Uh, I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, people and a lot of restaurants do it too, which is which I I have a huge problem with. I've talked to restaurant consultants for these huge chains, um, and they tell me absolutely they use sous vide because a, a lot of times I look at the. You know these burger patties at fast food chains and things like that, mm-hmm. and and it, when you do scientific studies on those, it's amazing how much BPA and phthalates and all these estrogen chemicals are in those in the meats, and it's supposed to be just pure meat. And it's like, well, where are all these chemicals coming from? Yeah. And sometimes they inject them as preservatives, like in chickens and things. They'll actually use the the estrogen chemicals to kill bacteria. Like they use parabens, methylparaben, propylparaben, butylparaben. It's a crazy, it's a crazy issue. Mm-hmm. But then sometimes they're doing sous vide cooking with actual plastics, which is insane. And then they'll that stuff leaches. And it's the same thing, you know. You get the scientists that say, "Oh, it's okay. <laughs> they don't leach." <laughs> yeah. And it's like, well, have you ever checked it? Have you ever looked at it? Because sometimes they do. I've I've sent an email. The best. So in labs, we do this all the time. We measure this all the time. It's clear that they're leaching, but uh, I, I, I was going to have a third-party uh, test for leaching mm-hmm. in plastic bottles, just like your average water bottle, right? At the store, you buy those 24 packs of clear plastic bottles with water in it. Mm-hmm. And I was going to have a company test uh, the BPA and the phthalates. And first of all... <clears throat> It was $300 per sample, so it was really expensive just to test one water bottle. But I, was, I thought, well, I'll do that just to show people, just to educate people, because if I do it in the lab, people think you're biased or whatever. But if you do it as a third-party thing, uh, you, know, you can't be biased. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, the result is the result. And so um, I figured, well, I'll pay the extra money. But then the crazy thing was with BPA, they measure the, if there is BPA in there, they'll flag it they'll measure it down to the nanogram level, like down to 10 nanograms, which is pretty excellent because again, your hormones are at the nanogram per liter level, right? So like, like I said, male hormones, male estrogen is like 10, uh, 20 nanograms per liter, right? Mm-hmm. So if they're measuring down to 10 nanograms per liter for BPA, that's an excellent measurement because it's relevant, right? Mm-hmm. It's in the same range as your natural hormones. But the phthalates, 
the lowest they detect the phthalates, the lower they even the lowest they even bother to measure for phthalates was fifty thousand nanograms per liter. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, let's say it's forty thousand nanograms per liter. Let's say the level of phthalates in your plastic bottle is forty thousand, which mm-hmm. is crazy because your natural estrogen is twenty, right? <laughs> yeah. They're not even going to pick it up. They're going to tell you that your sample was negative. It's not even present. That's what they're going to say because they're not going below 50,000. So I'm like, well, I'm not going to pay money for that. That's terrible sensitivity, right? Like BPA, that's pretty good. I, would do, I pay money for that, but I don't think there's BPA in a lot of these bottles. There's BPS, there's BPF, right? There's yeah. all these other BPA. Yeah. But then the phthalates are just as bad and they're almost a bigger problem. So that's part of the issue is these companies aren't even testing that low now still yeah. because they're being told it's not an issue. It's not something we need to worry about. It's not toxic, right. et cetera. Because again, it tricks your system. It's, it's semi, it's quasi natural. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, what's, what, what are some of maybe like, you know, although they do say that uh, it doesn't have an effect, what are maybe some signs people can look out for that it maybe right. has some sort of a negative effect on their health? Yeah, well, testosterone is the biggest. I mean, if you if your testosterone is chronically low, and to be honest, most people's are, is almost everybody has low testosterone these days. But and they, it's gotten so bad they've lowered the range. Yeah, yeah, they've lowered the normal range. So like, if you go in and get like a two sixty on your testosterone total testosterone as a man, they think that's normal now, which right. is insane. I mean, I think it's low if you're below five hundred. You know, like my natural testosterone is about 650, like about a month ago, as of a month ago, which which isn't terrible. I mean, I know plenty of people that are above 500 naturally um, just by avoiding artificial estrogens. I've had people double their testosterone by just just following my book and avoiding artificial estrogens. It happens within about six weeks. Um, But yeah, I think if you're below 500, that's a problem and that's... A lot of a lot of what happens when you get exposed to these chemicals consistently, and it takes it's it can be difficult to to bring your testosterone back up when you've had chronically low testosterone for decades because of these artificial estrogen. Yeah. But anyways, and then um, oftentimes you when in women you see breast cancer because you know there the estrogen receptor in the breast tissue gets activated alpha receptor there's two estrogen receptors alpha and beta and the alpha receptor gets activated and that's that trigger is a risk for breast cancer for sure in men you actually see gynecomastia as well which is man boobs um which is similar breast tissue development right unnatural breast tissue development even in children you're seeing that a lot of kids are going into puberty because of these artificial estrogens at super early ages. So the doctors, again, they're trying to lower the normal age range for puberty, which is insane. Um, I've even read medical journal articles arguing that we should lower the normal range for puberty because so many like nine year olds are going into puberty. And instead of, instead of saying that's a problem, we just want to lower the normal, (laughs) just like we've done with testosterone, just like we've done with vitamin D so many other things because so many people are coming in low. <clears throat> yeah. Um, but that's another thing. I mean, there's so many things, like I said, I mentioned before depression, like for example, birth control users, they did a study with like hundreds of thousands, I think at least over 100,000 people. And they found birth con- birth control users have a lot more suicide. And, you know, even with kids, you see like 
kids that urinate out more BPA, they pee out more BPA, they have a lot higher incidence of depression. I mean, you can't prove it. You can always say, well, that's just an association. It's not a cause. And that's true. But in animals, you can prove it, you know, you can dose them up and you can, you can measure certain metrics of motivation and apathy and things like that. And you Mm -hmm. certainly see that in animals. Um, I mean, there's so many issues, right? Like estrogen is involved in so many things. It's not just one thing. We we literally have estrogen receptors in practically every cell in our body, the things that pick up estrogen. So you you disrupt a lot of systems when you start disrupting your natural estrogen. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what are some of the kind of secret sources uh, in addition to just like plastics where people get exposed to these yeah. things? Yeah, Um Well, the personal care products are the other really, really big one. I mean, there's a lot of smaller sources, but aside from the plastics people are getting exposed to every day, most of the time the daily exposures are personal care products like shampoo, conditioner, deodorant, soap. Um, It's amazing. Like people are rubbing these things on their skin and you think you're washing them off because it's, you know, you're in the shower, but they prefer, they're oily. So they prefer to stay on your skin, just like fragrance, you know? Right. laundry detergent too it's similar like um it's amazing like i don't i use fragrance free laundry detergent now and i have nothing against fragrance if it's some natural source but most of the fragrances have <clears throat> have artificial estrogen chemicals in them um it's amazing and they don't even have to put it on their label so you, so a lot of people ask well what what am i looking for in the label it's like well you can't because a lot of times they just hide it on the label yeah. you know they're not they're not transparent about putting these chemicals in and they're cheap petroleum chemicals. That's why they put them in there. They try and rationalize it. Like I've had scientists tell me they put them in there because it carries the fragrance farther through the air, like parabens or phthalates. And it's like, well, maybe, but (laughs) it's an interesting idea, but then why wouldn't you put it on the label? Right? Like why are you afraid to put on the label? They're hiding them. And um, when we go to our in-laws to do our laundry, we use just the regular laundry detergent that everybody else in the country uses and it's got the fragrance in it and stuff. And it's amazing how long it stays in the clothing. Like I got the kids and my clothing and my wife and all this. And it takes like literally like three or four cycles of washing the clothes in fragrance free detergent. When I get home, it takes like weeks and weeks to get the fragrance out of there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it takes a lot of washing because they're like they stay in the clothes they don't like to go out in water they're kind of oily substances they prefer to stay on your skin as well so when you're rubbing soap on your skin that has artificial estrogen chemicals these chemicals want to stay on your skin your skin is kind of oily <clears throat> um excuse me my throat's kind of <clears throat> you know I got, a, got a frog in there today but um but that's a huge one i mean so many sources of artificial estrogens can be avoided if you just if you just ditch all your conventional personal care products and get good quality ones, either yeah. fragrance free or if you have fragrances in there, make sure they have natural, uh, good essential oils or something like that. Now that now you probably have heard me talk about lavender, right? Right. Like the lavender is a sketchy one. You got to be careful with the lavender essential oil because there's plenty of studies showing that it's it acts like estrogen and it disrupts your natural estrogens, endocrine disrupting. Um, tea tree oil is also potentially, it's not quite as well validated as lavender, but you got to be careful with tea tree oil as well. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I know a lot of people that they get, they get rid of all these 
crappy personal care products and then they get all these good quality ones but then they have lavender essential oil in them <laughs> yeah <laughs> and they're actually doing the same thing um and people argue about like well the quality matters and this and that maybe but we we don't know like none no none of these really good essential oil companies have done a study to prove that their lavender is not estrogenic. Nobody's actually done that study, but there's plenty of studies showing 100% pure lavender essential oil from different different companies disrupts your estrogen and your mm-hmm. testosterone. They've done those studies. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty good evidence that you want to be really cautious with lavender. Yeah. Um, yeah. What about some other natural, let's say, foods or something? Yeah, soy and flax are the big ones. I mean, they've done a study with... Uh, over 100 food items. They did a study in Canada looking at estrogen content in the foods, plant estrogen. They call it phytoestrogen. Mm-hmm. And uh, all the foods were under 1,000 units of estrogen, except for soy and flax. Soy and flax were both over 100,000 units of estrogen. <laughs> just, just like not even in the same country, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so... Those are the two big ones you really want to watch out for in terms of plant estrogens. Now, certain people, they handle them better, right? Because your gut bacteria, your gut bacteria can break those down. They're somewhat natural. Like our, our bodies have seen those before throughout evolution. And, you know, we can deal with plant estrogens. But once you get too much, it's a problem. What's too much? I don't know. It depends. Different people respond differently, right? Our gut bacteria are different right. and different people. It's risky though. I don't, I'm not a fan, you know, it's like, well, how much is exactly the dose you can handle? I don't know. (laughs) Like it's, it depends entirely on the person and how many other artificial estrogens you have in your life. Um, The good news is with, at least with soy, if you have natural fermentation, like they, they tested soy sauce and that was under 100. So soy beans over 100,000 units of estrogen. Soy sauce under 100 if it was naturally fermented. Okay. So fermentation is awesome because it breaks those estrogens down. And a lot of Asian foods with all these soy products, they actually use real naturally fermented Yeah. So like processes. Like the miso and those tempeh, they, exactly. they, can, they can be better. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You got it. Yeah, they, they are better. They tested those. And so that argument that, well, the Asians are loading up on soy so and they don't have these estrogen issues isn't really true because number one, a lot of times they do have these estrogen issues. And then number two, um, the ones that don't are usually using natural fermentation. Right. And what about flax then? Yeah, flax, you know, I avoid it for sure. The thing about flax that's interesting is it has some beneficial aspects. Like soy it's pretty hard to argue that it's beneficial other than just having some protein in it. Um, that estrogen is such a problem. Um, I don't think it's worth, you know, loading up on soy, but, and it's amazing by the way, that even the protein powders with soy are in the thousands of, mm-hmm. of, of units of estrogen. You know, the, it's supposed to be just pure protein. It's amazing how much estrogen is in those soy products that aren't fermented, but the flax, it's got the omega threes, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's got some benefit there that people need. And it's got CBD, interestingly enough. A lot of people don't realize flax has CBD. Interesting. And that's anti-inflammatory and that's beneficial. And so sometimes people have all these benefits from flax and 
the problem is they have <laughs> they're getting a lot of estrogen as well and they so you know in my opinion it's better just to get real like get cbd from hemp mm-hmm. if you're gonna if you want the cbd and get omega-3s from from krill oil or fish oil of some kind and and then avoid the artificial or avoid these plant estrogens from flax but you know it depends i mean yeah. and then there's always the postmenopausal women that need some estrogen right there's actually a case to be made but if you're going to do it for that purpose in my opinion you want to activate the beta receptor mm-hmm. so like i mentioned i just barely mentioned it but earlier i mentioned estrogen has two receptors it gets picked up by two different receptors alpha and beta estrogen receptor alpha estrogen receptor beta Mm-hmm. Like testosterone, when you've got testosterone in your body, there's just one receptor. It's just just the te- androgen receptor. Testosterone's going around your blood, boom, it gets snatched out by the androgen receptor. And that causes muscle growth and all kinds of other things. Estrogen, when it's going around your blood, it has two options. It has either the alpha or the beta option. And alpha is a risky option. You don't want to activate the alpha receptor because you increase risk for breast cancer. In women, for men, you increase risk of prostate cancer. And there's all kinds of other problems with alpha receptors. Okay. Um, so you want to kind of avoid estrogens that activate that alpha receptor and, and you want to take estrogens that activate the beta receptor again for postmenopausal women. Mm-hmm. If you're going to increase your estrogen, that should be your strategy. That's the strategy that drug companies use when they're trying to make fake estrogens to, to, to prescribe for postmenopausal women. But ironically enough, there's plenty of other plants that if you purify some compound, you know, it acts on the estrogen, on the beta receptor. So you can actually use plant compounds to do exactly what these drug companies are trying to do. They're just trying to get a patent and make a ton of money, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyways, there's, there's, there's certain plants you can use that activate the beta receptor. Uh, flax is not one of them. So in other words, like if you're postmenopausal and you want to increase your estrogen, I don't think soy or flax are a great option. They're okay. They might help a little bit, but there's better options, far better options like licorice root, for Mm -hmm. example. That's a much better option because it activates the beta receptor for estrogen. There's one called Equal, which is E-Q-U-O-L. Equal is another one. There's a a bunch and, uh, you know, people can email me if they want a bunch more. Again, that's kind of a case-specific thing. There's always some unique cases, but in general, I think people should avoid soy and flax at the very least. Right, right. Yeah, it's all, it's also like uh, usually it's more, mostly like GMO and as well, and can have right, like other, right. other other health problems. Yeah, and mold. You know, I didn't even mention mold because one of the reasons mold is so toxic it's it creates a chemical that acts like estrogen in our bodies. It's called zeralinone, Z E A, zeralinone. Okay. Tricky spelling, and not a lot of people talk about it. Most people have never heard of it, unless they've heard about it through my book, but or me talking because I talk about it all the time and it's a real problem because it's exactly what you say. Like some of these herbicides and pesticides, they act like estrogen. So that's something. Then you've got the soy, which is acting like estrogen. And then you got the mold nowadays because the, a lot of our grains and our soy and our corn and all this, they're stored in these giant silos and they get mold. You know, they have an acceptable amount of mold that they allow in our food. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, just the way our our system is set up, you know, there's a lot more mold than our ancestors were exposed to yeah. the, with these gra- eating all these grains all the time. Um, so 
at least that's that's the assumption i can't prove that right but you know that's probably true there's no there's certain our, our ancestors certainly weren't storing grains in these giant silos you know a thousand years ago <laughs> um or at least ten thousand years ago so um that xerolinone is an issue so it's compounding right you've got all these chemicals that are acting like estrogen from the molds to the sprays to the chemical sprays to the actual soy itself mm. Um, so the, yeah, the food is really getting bombarded if you're just eating standard American diet. Yeah. What about, uh, you know, meat, uh, beef is usually fed like, you know, grains as well as soy. Does, exactly. Does it, does it, you know, carry over? Oh yeah. To some degree, it's not as problematic as just eating soy, but the estrogens definitely go throughout the cow's body. And I used to tell people like a long time ago when I was actually doing my PhD and studying these hormones and all this, I used to tell people like, you've got to be really careful with the fats, but mm -hmm. the meat's no big deal. You can get whatever kind of meat. It doesn't have to be grass fed. It's not, but the fat, you've got to be really careful if you're going to have, you know, like, uh, uh, bacon or just any kind of fat. You want to make sure it's from a good source. That's, that's eating healthy, yeah. not full of estrogens because they store in the fat. Yeah. Problem yeah. So I, now, I've seen the research on the meat now and <laughs> now I'm not so sure. Now, I, now I'm actually, and the, the biggest argument for that is the atrazine, which is a herbicide, the second most used herbicide in North America. Now, thankfully the atrazine is illegal in Europe. Um, and you're, you're from Estonia, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's illegal over there, thankfully. So you don't have to awesome. worry, but, and you can find European meat in America. You can find European bacon, for example, you know, Mm-hmm. And the laws are so much better over there, but over here it's disaster. I mean, we, we, we use atro atrazine as the most commonly found ground pollutant, you know, it's in the water supply all over the country and it acts like estrogen. It, uh, it, like, like for example, 200 nanograms per liter of atrazine, um, it changes a male frog into a female. If you have the frog and 200 wow. nanograms per liter, it's a problem, right? Like it's definitely acting like estrogen. And, and, they even call it male feminization in the scientific studies because they're not trying to be politically correct. Now, nowadays they're trying to be more politically correct and kind of changing the terminology and all this, but it's male feminization. Like you're changing a male into a female, let's be honest. And the atrazine, you know, it's in the grains, like I mentioned, and then the cows are eating it, like you mentioned, and they've tested the blood from cows and the left from feedlot cows from just standard feedlot cows. Again, you know, loading up on corn and all this, they were at 700,000 nanograms per liter of atrazine. Wow. That's in their blood. <laughs> it's crazy. And it's like, well, we're turning frogs, you know, male frogs into females at 200, right? Yeah. And male estrogen is around 20 nanograms per liter. And then you're throwing in 700,000 nanograms per liter. Now, can you prove that's a problem? You know, maybe, but it, the study would be really challenging. And, it would probably take decades. So nobody's going to do it. Right. Yeah. To like really see the full effects in a human, but certainly it's not something I'm going to tinker with. I, I definitely have switched over to just, I, I meet my farmer. I know who he is. Mm -hmm. you know, I get a whole cow from him. I have two chest freezers. I've got four kids, so it's a little unique there, but I also hunt. So I get, I shoot animals and get the the most <laughs> grass fed you can get right yeah yeah but i recognize most people can't do that but they can certainly meet the farmers that they that they get their meat from and make sure the cow is out grazing in the field and that sort of thing right before they slaughter it hmm. 
yeah yeah that's true that's true like it's kind of uh the although the amount of it would be somewhat less problematic that you would get it from directly from these uh estrogenic foods but it's still the effect is still there oh yeah yeah especially yeah exactly so now i tell people like you really want to avoid those feedlot cows even the conventional meat it's unfortunately risky and you know and it's not that like it's actually cheaper for the farm like they love it when you just straight up buy a cow from them and send it straight to the butcher Mm -hmm. if you meet the right farmers they're they love that you know because it just kind of cuts out the middleman it's actually cheaper to be honest i I pay a lot less for my meat and it's grass-fed it's free range it's healthy as heck yeah um yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a lot better. Kind of, you, you have to kind of get more connected with your own food source, so to say, because most people are so disconnected from what they eat. Like they literally just go to the supermarket, they buy this right. packaged, <laughs> packaged product right. and they don't Plastic. know, they don't know yeah. where it's coming from. They don't know what that food ate. Right. Who injected chemicals into it. Yeah. 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 yeah and, 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 you know, like I, I request that my butcher wraps my meat in wax paper, mm-hmm. you know? So it doesn't even have plastic wrapping all over and I'm not just basically wasting all this plastic garbage. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's tricky because like you want to, some of it you want to have sealed, you want to vacuum seal it for longer term storage. And what I do there is I, pl- I, I, I use wax paper. Like when I go hunting, I use wax paper on the meat that's directly in contact. And then I put it in those plastic vacuum seal bags and, and vacuum out the air mm-hmm. that's how i personally do it but that's pretty extreme right i just feel like well i have a vacuum sealer and i hunt all the time so it makes sense for me yeah. but there's a great organization called the weston a price foundation and if people are looking for farmers in their area it's literally across the united states they have a network of farmers now again over in europe i have no idea but at least over here, that's a great resource for people to find farmers that are intelligent, educated on this stuff, and you know are really uh, doing the right thing more often than not. Yeah. What are some other materials that are kind of safe, like stainless steel or glass? Or- yeah, both. Both of those are great. Yeah. And and um, you know, like when I'm hiking or something, I'll use stainless. Generally, I just use glass. The problem with stainless is if you put coffee in there, it smells like coffee for the, forever. You can't get that <laughs> coffee smell out. So just be careful with that. But but yeah, I mean, for the most part, it's about avoiding these chemicals. And, and you know, like once you get rid of the plastics and a lot of these cheap personal care products, you know, you're usually doing pretty good. Um, the sunscreen is another one that a lot of people overlook. Mm-hmm. And that's actually in the plastics as well. Like in that new car smell, that's actually a sunscreen chemical called benzophenone. They also call it oxybenzone hmm. um, because they put these sunscreen chemicals in plastic to prevent them from getting sun damaged. And did you hear about the, how they're making those chemicals? They're making sunscreen illegal in a lot of countries now. Oh yeah. I heard it. Yeah. <laughs> like in Hawaii and there's like five other countries that have put by 2020, it's going to be illegal. Crazy. Um, yeah, because it's killing off the coral reefs and all this stuff when people are swimming yeah. in the ocean. And it's not really sunscreen that's illegal, although that's what all the headlines say. It's actually the, uh, it's it's just the chemicals that are acting like estrogen in the sunscreen, like I say, oxybenzone. Mm-hmm. 
and the, and that the research on that is crazy. Like they just this year, they finally did a study with oxybenzone. I mean, it's been legalized for 20 years, right? Like people have been putting on their kids for 20 years, right? Mm. Which is insane because basically yeah. they haven't tested it. And they found like the, the FDA in America and the EPA, they have their own like limits for things. Mm-hmm. And, and the limits are based on cancer and all this crazy stuff. Like if your levels are high enough to give you cancer, it's crazy high levels, right? Yeah. It's way beyond like disrupting your estrogen. It's, it's, it's crazy. So one, one exposure to, to sunscreen, like basically one application of oxybenzone sunscreen, which is by far the most common sunscreen. If you just go to the store and you grab just a cheap sunscreen, it's full of oxybenzone. One application of that sunscreen they tested seven days later and your blood is still at above the government's own recommended limits for cancer from the sunscreen chemical. Seven days later, one application. Crazy. Crazy. Like it's insane, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and they're saying, oops, like the, the former FDA chairman is saying, basically saying like, oops, we need to do way more studies on this. This is, this is shocking, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, well, it shouldn't be shocking because they should have tested a long time ago. Yeah, but it's not shocking to me because it acts like estrogen and that's even a bigger problem because even if it's a low level, it's dangerous and your shampoo's got it a lot of times. So that's where you're getting these lower levels. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite, so, quite, quite crazy to think about like we're using all these artificial um, chemicals and ingredients only for like the sake of profit and convenience. Right. <laughs> and unfortunately it's just damaging the damaging the environment as well as damaging our own health. So, uh, we, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and zinc works. Like, if people want a, a solution for that, I don't want to forget to mention like zinc sunscreen. Like, if you've got twenty percent zinc in it or something, it's great. And no other like all the other chemicals in there, you can pronounce like coconut oil. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something like that. Like with twenty percent zinc, that is perfectly sufficient. Like I'm as white as they get, and I can go out and go fishing all day long with zinc sunscreen, and I don't get sunburned. So. Mm. It's a little more expensive, for sure. It's worth it, for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, we have to just uh, acknowledge the fact that we can't, you know, make the, everything so cheap. <laughs> we have to kind of right. va- value our own health and the environment some to somewhat exactly. extent more and uh, start pay- yeah. pay- paying more for these uh, healthier products. Yeah, otherwise you're going to pay at the hospital. Mm-hmm. For sure. Exactly. Uh, are there like ways of you know detoxing these things and uh, eliminating from the body? Yeah, the sauna is by far the, my favorite. I mean, they've done studies. People people like to say, well, like old school scientists like to say that you don't sweat out toxins, mm-hmm. right? Like they used to say that. They used to laugh at people that suggested that you sweat out toxins. And now it's very clear. Like there was review articles showing and talking about how you absolutely sweat out toxins. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so for all those scientists that are still saying that, you're not keeping up on the research because it's very clear that we sweat out toxins. It's absurd that we wouldn't because toxins store in your fat, like these estrogens, they, they store in your fat, just like natural estrogen. Um, like they float on water, like natural estrogen. If you put estrogen in a glass of water, it floats on the top, just like cholesterol It's derived from cholesterol. It's a sex hormone. So it's testosterone. Um, that's why they have to ride on the SHBG sex hormone binding globulin to get around your bloodstream because they float on water. But anyways, the artificial estrogens also float on water for the most part. And, um, and so they store in your fat <clears throat> and it's, it's ironic because they trigger your fat cells to, to make more fat. Like they, 
they trigger your body to get fatter, right? Yeah. <laughs> Just like a woman, when women get pregnant, their, their natural estrogen goes way up and their body stores more fat. It's a natural thing because our ancestors didn't always have access to food. So storing some fat is actually a good thing for fetus, but for the mother to store fat. But these unnatural estrogens like the BPA, the phthalates, the oxybenzone, the atrazine, you know, all these chemicals that I write about and talk about, they also tell your body to store fat. They tell you, they say, hey, get fat, get fat. We need fat, you know, and, and they store inside the fat cells, which makes it harder to lose fat when you have fat and you want to lose fat. Mm-hmm. Um, but the point is like, you can sweat those out. In a sauna study with BPA, and then they did another one with phthalates, they call them bus studies, like blood, urine, and sweat studies, BUS. You actually sweat out more of these estrogen chemicals than you urinate out, mm-hmm. like if you use a sauna. People that didn't use a sauna, they don't get any, any of them out. But then the people that use a sauna, they're, oftentimes they didn't pee anything out, but they sweat a ton of these yeah. toxins out. So by far my favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, it makes sense that the urine itself is almost just like a you know sterile environment versus the sweat is uh, yeah, right. like I said, more like more connected to the fat cells. And um, yeah, it's right there. Like our skin the, is fatty. You know, if you eat a ton of chicken skin or something, it's fatty. You know, it's just the way it is. Yeah. <laughs> so it shouldn't shock anybody that they're. And even if <clears throat> even if it's stored far inside your body, like around your like your organs and things in the visceral fat as opposed to your subcutaneous fat you know the infrared sauna is really valuable for helping that move that those toxins out of there oh really yeah because it gets in a lot deeper <clears throat> um but you know so does exercise like so does just sweating in general mm-hmm. um what about fasting fasting is great for sure because you're mobilizing more fat <clears throat> excuse me um Yeah, I think all those things. And of course, the problem with a lot of this is people are shoving these estrogen chemicals down their throats every day or on their skin every day. They're rubbing them on their skin. Yeah. And then they're going to the sauna. (laughs) (laughs) You got to stop putting them in your body first, right? Yeah. And then the problem kind of fixes itself and you can expedite the process. And sauna has a lot of other benefits. Infrared light and saunas they individually have benefits in and of themselves in a lot of ways um so that's you know that's great for expediting the process and for their its own sake but um yeah but yeah you want to stop putting the chemicals in your system first yeah it's like you know many of these uh detox diets that you kind of eat you eat like crap you eat like crap for the entire year and then you expect to go on a detox diet to clean yourself (laughs) whereas the easier way to be would be to just eat clean all the time and uh, then you don't have detox that much exactly and that's why i buy a good cow and stuff like this because if you're eating if you've got access to all this good food mm-hmm. you don't feel like you have to go running out and buying garbage you know like i look at cheetos and all this stuff and it's just disgusting like it, it kind of grosses you out after like every once in a while you get hungry for it and maybe you cheat and you have some whatever but it's it's pretty rare and it's yeah. It's such a great system when you're eating, when you have just your freezer is full of good food and, and stuff that you actually like and it's nutritious and it doesn't have these chemicals, then it's, yeah. it's so much easier. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the, yeah, the key is to not buy these uh, processed food in the first place <laughs> yeah. because if you have right. it in the house, then you're kind of. You'll eat it. I will. Yeah. You feel like obligated to eat it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. If I have ice cream in my freezer, it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's true. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, that's, yeah, that's all these topics that I definitely recommend people to check out from your book, uh, Estro Generation. Uh, but you also do like genetic testing uh, with your right. consulting company. So, are there like any specific genes or that make the person pre more predisposed to suffering these uh, symptoms? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, that's one of the reasons I do it. Um, yeah, man, you did your research. So a lot of people don't realize I also do DNA consulting, um, where I where people have their 23 and me or their ancestry, and I just take the raw data, like just the actual DNA code. Mm-hmm. And I have my own software that I've written and all this. Um, and I, I uh, flag these problem genes. So some people have problems with clearing artificial estrogen chemicals. Mm-hmm. Like their liver doesn't clear the chemicals very well. And in, invariably, like pretty much every man out there that has man boobs, that has gynecomastia, they have these problem genes with their estrogen. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they don't clear BPA, phthalates, parabens, uh, atrazine, whatever, all these chemicals we've been talking about. <laughs> they don't clear them through their liver very well. And that's yeah. why they have man boobs, you know, right. Um, for example, and, and that's just a tip of the iceberg. I mean, I look at, I do five categories when I do DNA consulting and I do pro athletes. I do, I just gave my second talk for the special forces for the military in the U S. Um, I, I do MMA fighters. I've done, I do regular people. I just, because I care about people's health, you know, you don't have to be like some kind of an elite athlete to care about your health. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do five categories. I do the brain. It's like all the Alzheimer's risk genes, all the serotonin, like all the anxiety risk, all kinds of different categories, longevity, lifespan genes. So I do the brain. I do the diet. I do the detox pathways, um, like vitamin, hormone, and detox. The fourth category I do is exercise, like training genes. And then the fifth category I do is sleep genes. Yeah. So I do five categories when I look at people's DNA and f- try and find the problem genes. I'm not looking at good genes, right? I'm only trying to find the bad genes people have <laughs> yeah. and figure out ways to fix the genes. You know, like, okay, this gene is involved in this pathway. Here's how we can fix it. You know, it's, it's a bit of a hypothesis, you know, mm-hmm. because there's not going to be a study on you personally, right? But you just understanding the pathways and how these these genes work and what fix, you know, like what you're deficient in or what you're, you need more of to trigger the, to fix the thing. Um, it's a great strategy. It's really effective and that's why I do it. Yeah. What kind of, uh, let's say, uh, how, how do genes may affect like a person's diet? What kind of foods, sh- sh- you know, if they have like a specific gene, like a few examples of uh, how, how, how they yeah. change their diet. Right. Well, the problem is so many people buy like a hundred supplements, you know, <laughs> it's like they're literally just guessing like what might work in my body. And you're just kind of guessing. And a lot of times these supplements, you don't even feel different, mm-hmm. but sometimes that's, they're still worth taking, but then sometimes they're not worth taking. So you can spend thousands of dollars per year on supplements, just guessing, but you, or you can do your DNA, which is a lot cheaper and figure it out definitively, you know, instead of just guessing, like, for example, um, oh, there's so many examples, like some people, you know, they have a bunch of vitamin D issues. They need vitamin D. That's really common. Some people, 
have you heard of tocopherol, like the vitamin E? Yeah. Like alpha tocopherol. It's actually problematic for some people to have tocopherol. It causes inflammation, that fake vitamin E. They need the tocotrienols. They need the good vitamin E form. Mm-hmm. Um, so people are actually taking multivitamins and causing inflammation in their body with tocopherol if they've got that, that problem gene. Mm-hmm. Folic acid is another one that's similar to that story where they've taken folic acid and it's actually causing more problems and they need to take methylfolate. Uh, sometimes people, they need to take retinol because they have problems converting beta carotene to retinol and retinol is what you need. You know, you don't need carotene. Like people yeah. say eat carrots, they're good for your eyes, right? <laughs> well, they're not really because you don't have carotene in your eyes. You have retinol. Your body has to convert all that carotene to retinol. And then it's good for your eyes. More importantly, it's good for your immune system. Retinol is super important for your immune system, for your stem cells. Um, so if you've got that gene where you have like a 70 or 80% reduced conversion of beta carotene to retinol, you got to get rid of the carrots and just start eating liver. But the problem is if you're eating a ton of liver and you've got bad genes for iron clearance, like there's a gene called HFE. FE stands for iron in science. Like it's called homeostatic iron regulator gene and some other genes that where your body's going to have super high iron right and then that's a problem because that can damage your arteries so then you don't want to eat liver you want to just straight up take retinol as a supplement instead of beta carotene right like you have to factor all these different things in yeah and it's not a simple story it's not just like one like oh just take just eat liver right (laughs) well well we got to check some other genes first (laughs) like before i can say that because iron can be really dangerous there's a gene um it's called sod2 superoxide dismutase (laughs) If you have a bad version of that gene, it, it's a tenfold higher risk for heart disease if your iron is high. Wow. Tenfold higher. I mean, crazy. people get heart attacks like crazy. Like if you want to if you want to give it yourself a tenfold higher risk for heart attacks, that's a crazy high risk. It's not worth taking, in my opinion. So for those people, you know, your iron, you definitely don't want high iron. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. But if your body clears iron really well, you some of the sometimes even in those cases you can still eat liver. You know, it just depends on your gene. So it's it's complicated, but it's that's just how our biology is, right? Our our systems are complicated. I mean, some people, their way 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 back ancestors thousands of years ago had some tribe that lived by the ocean. So they're like iodine, super important. DHA, super important. You know, and their genes reflect all of that. Or some people maybe live somewhere else where they're eating liver all the time and they don't need to. They never ate carrots, so they whatever you know. Yeah, all this has logical roots, <clears throat> but nowadays we have the technology to pick that out really cheap. You know, with these DNA consulting or these DNA sequencing companies like Twenty Three and Me, um, and you know that's why I like to stay right on the cutting edge of that. People kind of people like to say that DNA doesn't really matter; it's not as important because now we understand epigenetics, but ironically, like I study epigenetics, right? Like I'm a huge, I'm a huge proponent of understanding epigenetics and using that, but I'm also a huge proponent of DNA too, because they're both huge factors. It's not one or the other. It's not just epigenetics. It's not just DNA. It's both. You got to understand both. And the DNA is so much cheaper to understand. Like people at least should understand their DNA. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) It's so true. Yeah. What about some, uh, let's say differences between uh, fats and carbs, like what, what kind of relationship people. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. It's, it's to be honest, you know, like there's, okay. So 
I think most people can do really well with fats. It kind of gets overblown, this idea that, oh, you've got genes where you, you don't deal well with saturated fats. Those studies are super weak and <laughs> really not very convincing when you look at them. But there's a lot of genes involved in carb processing, sugar, how your body deals with sugar. There's gout risks. There's joint risks. There's brain fog risks. There's all these genes that lead to all kinds of issues. Um, and there's a lot of ways to fix them and, or to help your body deal better with carbs. Like there's even a melatonin receptor issue people can have um, that gives you a risk for diabetes. Oh, wow. You know, like if your melatonin is off, your blood sugar is higher, for example. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of unexpected ways like that that can mess with your blood sugar. So if, it's like some people are super sensitive to carbs. Some people can eat loads of carbs and have no issues. Some people get brain fog from carbs. Some people don't. Some people feel amazing on carbs, but they're just ruining their joints, right? Whatever. Mm -hmm. So there's all these, these risk genes um, relating to carbs. So I think the carbs are a lot more of an issue when you're looking at the DNA than the fats. Like I think everybody's body, human beings are just set up to burn fats. Mm -hmm. um, we've just destroyed our epigenetics and we've trained our bodies to deal, you know, like to basically burn carbs exclusively. Yeah. yeah. And so we've messed up our systems in that respect. And some people more so than others. Again, some people have genetics where they can deal with the carbs. So then they kind of scoff at anybody who thinks that they can't. Like I've done people's DNA, like athletes, right? A lot of the athletes, they have genetics where their their bodies deal really well with carbs. And then they, they're incredulous. They think everybody should be that way. Yeah. They think like they kind of laugh at people that are high fat diets and that, right. Well, it's and, and, maybe it's also part of the epigenetics that if a person is, is yeah. athletic, then their body is just, you know, exercise improves your uh, glucose tolerance and insulin sensitivity. Exactly. Well, that and, 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 and that's not even necessarily epigenetics. That's just, yeah, that's just right. the nature of exercise. You're burning more calories so you can eat more calories. You can eat more carbs. Of course, people that are just sitting around all day, they can't get away with doing that, you know? Right. But I think most of the gene issues relate to carbs as opposed to fats. But there's a lot of them. It's complicated. It's interesting. It's worth knowing yeah. um, for your own individual system, your right. own body. But What do you think about the APOE gene then? That, uh, yeah, makes yeah, it's it a factor. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting factor. I think for sure people need to, to should understand their APOE. A lot of people... They don't want to know. They're like, well, if I have that Alzheimer's <laughs> risk, I mean, it can increase your risk for, for Alzheimer's 70%, which is super high. But you, know, like having a, you can literally have a 70% risk of Alzheimer's if you got the plus-plus version of that gene and like the bad version from your mother and the bad version from your father. But the good news is there's a whole bunch of things you can do about it. So what you want to know, like if you've got the bad version, you want to spend the extra money to fix it, mm -hmm. you know? And it can be expensive. Like for an average person, you know, you don't, some of these supplements are unnecessary, but for some people that have the APOE4, you know, they want to get on the, the, the three or four or five or six, maybe even seven grams a day of DHA, you know, good quality DHA, not just the regular stuff. Mm -hmm. Things like that. Like you want to spend that extra money. Right the preventative and then it's worth it but for like somebody who doesn't have that apoe you don't want to spend that extra money because you're just throwing it away yeah. <laughs> you can true that's that, a... it, goes, it goes back to that that just having that knowledge is a 
form of power, it saves you a lot of money. People yeah. don't look at it that way because prevention the system we've just kind of at least in america for sure we've grown up in this system of wait until you're just absolutely sick and then go and figure it out <laughs> well i think most of the world is like that yeah yeah and, and it's, uh, yeah, it's it's such a you know fortunate fortunate situation actually that we do have this uh technology and uh, this information about how can we just prevent these health problems and optimize them if you do happen? So in a way, it's a, like a very good thing, but people just tend to not really take full full advantage of it. And definitely like right. the big uh, you know, medical communities and research, as well as like the governments, they don't really take it. They, they don't take personal indifferences into account, especially the genetic ones. Yeah, right. And there's a lot of fraud in that sector as well there's a lot of people that are making claims that don't aren't backed up by any studies and things like that which makes it more challenging it's like the stem cell industry like i do stem cell research too and there's a lot of people out there making all these crazy claims about stem cells but but then there's people that are doing legitimate amazing work with stem cells and it's hard to you have to figure out ways to differentiate between the two because there's all this value but then there's all this right there's all these these frauds out there Right. And that's kind of true anywhere, I guess. So the reputation matters, like knowing who is leading the charge and, and and whether or not you can trust that person, I think, matters. Exactly, yeah. Well, uh, it's been great uh, talking with you and I'm going to start wrapping things up as well. Yeah. So uh, I'm going yeah, to put all the links to your book as well as your consulting uh, into the show notes uh, where people can check it out. Uh, but, Thanks. Uh, yeah. But yeah, where can people learn more about you and your work? Yeah. Well, AJ Consulting Company is the name of my DNA consulting company, and I actually have a page on that website. It's ajconsultingcompany.com, and you have to add the word company. It's absurd. It's a terrible website name. <laughs> I know, but is what it is. I came up with it way back, and I never change it. But ajconsultingcompany.com, and then if you put in slash what I use, all one word ajconsultingcompany.com slash what I use. It tells you which personal care products I use. I don't, I don't have any like company endorsements, you know, with mm -hmm. that. So I don't, I'm not biased. I can change the companies if I think one is better than another one. And that's an interesting place. A lot of people get a lot of benefit from that site because I find products that are relatively inexpensive. They're oftentimes downright cheap, but they're good quality. They don't have all these estrogen chemicals. Mm -hmm. like soaps and de deodorants that actually work that are natural <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, things like that you know so that's a good re uh, resource for people awesome and uh, my final question is uh what's this one piece of advice or habit you wish you had up to sooner oh man um getting rid of plastics i wish i would have done that you know i wish my parents would have done it long time ago and changing my personal care products that's not one but it's kind of, yeah. they're both related it's it's a big change but yeah i think like as a teenager i vividly remember going to the store and like smelling the deodorants you know and like <laughs> just purely selecting things like that based on how they smell just and now it's just like ugh, you know just appalling because most of those ones were just the worst you know yeah that's true. <laughs> yeah, and definitely, definitely like the epigenetic transmission over the course of generation is something exactly. you know, we didn't really talk about. But we yeah, didn't but even talk about it. <laughs> I know that's like the main point of the whole book too is, is just, you know, we're, we're messing up the next generation. And yeah, people can read the book to figure that part out. It's yeah. chapter nine, I think. It's towards the end of the book, but it's really 
the most powerful problem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, thanks for coming to the podcast. And uh, yeah, it's a very important topic and like a lot of people just overlook it and they don't really pay attention to it. So it's, yeah, uh, thanks thanks for running on book yeah. and bringing more atten- oh, yeah. attention to it. Oh, thanks for having me. It seemed great talking to you. Great meeting you. All right, that's it for this episode of the Body, Mind and Power podcast. If you want to support us, then I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes and the other social media platforms. You can now order my new book, Metabolic Autophagy, that covers a lot of the same topics that we talked in here. It's a collection of certain lifestyle habits and practices that prioritize longevity as well as performance. To support this podcast, you can also become a Patreon and get exclusive video lectures from my biohacking bootcamp that covers circadian rhythms, intermittent fasting, autophagy, resistance training, biofeedback, and many more. But other than that, my name is Seem. Stay tuned for the next episode. Stay empowered.